Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 45 of Saving the Game, Envy, part 11 of our Virtue and Vices series, with your hosts, Brandon and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. And I'm still alone with Peter. (laughs) Sadness. Otherwise known as Brandon. Hi, Brandon. We are still Grantless. He's out with some health issues. Nothing serious. If you want some details, go listen to the news section of our last episode. It's still affecting him, so we're hoping to have him back soon. But in the meantime, he helped contribute to the outline, and he's also been keeping busy working on t-shirts and other swag we are finally going to have we're putting grant into a sweatshop they're just stitching the t-shirts together yes (laughs) working his fingers to the bone yes iron-on forms and a rusty third world sewing machine are his whole world now no not really why pay kids in china pennies when we can pay grant nothing (laughs) best plan ever peter best plan ever something tells me his wife would track us down and it would get real ugly Uh, after that if she can find us you've met his wife right (laughs) at any rate we should have some t-shirts coffee mugs that sort of thing coming at some point in the not too distant future probably not by the time you hear this episode but keep your eyes peeled to social media and stuff Also, we have another announcement for episode 50 that's coming up in September. We're going to be doing a live episode on a Google Plus Hangout with Q&A. The topic is going to be character creation. We'll be taking listener suggestions for character creation ideas and answering any other questions that you want to ask. That is currently scheduled for September 18th. A specific time of day has yet to be decided, so you'll have to keep your ears peeled for that one, too. Okay, well, should we get into our scripture then? No, let's just skip scripture. Right, because it's not like half of our outline or anything. <laughs> uh, All right, our first okay. scripture is Genesis 4, verses 2 through 10. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Exodus, verses 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And now we have Luke fifteen twenty-five to 30. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, 
Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Proverbs 14.30 A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And then we have James 3.13-18 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace recap a harvest of righteousness. So, as you can probably tell from our verses, our topic tonight is envy. We are continuing our Virtues and Vices series. This is part 11. We only have three more to go, and we'll cap this one off, at least with the 7 and 7. We may be back for some other more minor ones. Thank you to Grant for outlining. Yes, Grant is still very much involved in pretty much everything that doesn't require him to actually talk aloud into a microphone. So, what is envy? Envy is an overweening desire for a quality circumstance or good that someone else has and that you lack. We have a couple examples here. A house nicer than yours. Other nice things, car, technology, jobs that pay more, job that isn't difficult as yours, job that's more interesting, a job that has more meaning to you, a happy marriage, a day in the park while you work, talents you don't possess, attributes you don't possess, anything can really be envy. Yeah, it's pretty much something that someone else has, however you want to define that, whether it's a relationship or a material good or an intangible that you wish you had and you resent them for. And there's a couple of things that make envy tricky. First of all, it's a sin of desire. So even if you just want something that somebody else has in kind of an obsessive, toxic way, that can be sinful. Now, this is different from looking up to somebody as a role model because you don't resent them for it. If somebody has a talent or something that you have and you want to emulate that person and you seek that person out and try and be more like that person in a noble way, that's probably not envy. Granted, rarely are we ever 100% in one direction or another. This is kind of one of those things that can be a little bit of a gray area. The other thing that makes it tricky is a lot of the time people are envious for the appearance of what others have. You might think you want that guy's car, but it's a gas guzzler or it has a problem with some system in it that makes it a real pain to drive. Or It's, it's sort of like girlfriend or wife. Yeah, you might think that, man, that husband or wife or whatever is awesome and great. Because you don't see the fact that like she picks her nose at inappropriate times. He's an ad. Or the relationship is more quarrelsome or has less of some other quality that you like in yours. There's a lot that you don't see about other people's lives, and it's easy to envy kind of an idealized version of what they have without really realizing the full extent of things. Grant has this in here, I think. Looking up to someone for their virtuous behavior seems like a good thing, but as Christians, we're taught to look to God for these qualities. Even the most virtuous of men are only as good as a human can be, and by looking no further than that, we fall short of the glory of God. I think that's probably a good point in some ways, but I think a lot of the time, if there's somebody who you admire 
the virtuous behavior of it's not necessarily a bad idea to seek out whatever advice that they have. For instance, we quote C.S. Lewis, St. Francis, and I quote Adam Hamilton occasionally on here, and I would say all three of those people are excellent role models. What do you think, Brandon? It seems like in that particular area, we benefit a little bit by looking at other humans at least somewhat. Well, there's a difference between looking at other humans and admiring what they have and coveting what they have. That is sort of the crux of what envy is. It's in the Ten Commandments, thou should not covet your neighbor's wife or oxen. Anything they have, we're not supposed to covet it. But we can go and say, well, man, you've got some really great stuff. Because the thing is, as humans, we like showing off our stuff. One of the reasons a lot of people have things hung up in their home is like, oh, come through. Well, this is the fish I caught. This is the plaque I won. Here's where I met the president. Sure, and I mean, that can be pride sometimes, or sometimes it can just be, hey, look, I took this picture and saw this scene and it was really beautiful. Take a look. Well, it doesn't have to be pride all the time. I mean, I share a whole lot of stories with you about, well, this great thing happened because it's a thing and I'm happy about it, but it's not like, oh, well... I agree. I think there's a difference between admiring something and coveting it. You can admire it. You can even want it for yourself. But coveting it is like the step beyond. It's sort of like getting into what we discussed way back early on with greed and wrath when we were discussing what actually is a mortal sin. Wanting something that someone else has as a passive, oh man, I really need to get myself an iPhone. That's one thing. Yeah. But going... I really want that. I want his iPhone. It should be mine. Why does he have it? He has it better than me. Or the fact that something is out of reach for you for whatever reason becomes something that just eats at you. It turns into a toxic thing. That can be the case, too. I mean, in my life, I will probably never be at the point where I can afford multiple homes all over the country and jet set travel and that sort of thing. If that was something that really made me, like, bitter and resentful and stuff, that would be bad. Yeah. As it turns out, I'm kind of a homebody and really don't care. Well, me and Grant could be envious and bitter that you went to Fear the Con and we couldn't go this past year. You could be bitter and envious that we recorded a podcast without you and thus cursed us with Grant going (laughs) and getting Bell's palsy. This is going to be a running gag, isn't (laughs) it? It's only a running gag until you lift the curse, Peter. I'm begging you. I didn't curse Grant. (laughs) Agree to disagree, all right? Grant, if you're listening, it would be really great if you would get over this and come back. (laughs) Your input in the podcast is wonderful and we miss you. Grant could be upset right now that we're recording without him. I mean, he could refuse to release any episode that he isn't on. We haven't released them yet. Well, if you're hearing this, we have. Yeah. So... I guess the ball's in your court, I think as we're recording this, the first one that he's not on is going (laughs) to drop in just a few days, right? Yes. So we'll know then. (laughs) Not with enough certainty or timeliness to put it in this podcast, but we'll know. Yes. But that's what envy is. To get us back onto topic a little bit, a lot of the examples that we gave are related to work, and that's often the frame in which envy appears. I work as hard or harder than my neighbor. Why does he have things I don't? Don't I deserve them? And that can also come from the fact that we all have a very American view set. The capitalism, you work hard, you get success. So since we have sort of put that into our cultural mindset, the concept of, well, I'm working harder than him. How come I'm not getting more than him? 
is really enforced. Yeah, and unfortunately, especially these days, that just doesn't mesh up with the current economic reality. True. Jobs are harder to come by, lucrative jobs even more so. It's a tough world out there right now. A lot of people who really bust their tail wind up with less than they probably, by our culture standards, would deserve for their work. It's probably also good to keep in mind that there are people in the third world that work far harder than you ever have in your life and are starving. So, Oh, yes. That is very relative, but that definitely can be a thing that traps people. We actually have terms for this in our culture, too. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, and I wish I had that guy's life, or I wish I had that person's whatever. And there's also the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome, where you feel like you have to keep pace with your neighbors, which can be a form of envy. This is something that is so ingrained in our cultural mind that it has become a whole type of story, as I covered in the last Science of Storytelling in the types of stories. Out of the bottle had some of this in it. The people wanting more and they wish for more and they get it and it's all terror. Yeah. It is a lesson that we are teaching ourselves over and over again because it is a lesson that resounds. It's a lesson that resonates? Yes. That was the word I was looking for. It is a lesson that resonates. So what makes it a capital sin? definition we have here is a capital sin is a sin of the spirit in which other sins of the flesh and spirit are rooted. They drive us to commit other sins. And the particular case of envy, these can be things like spitefulness, uncharitable treatment of others, bitterness, and it can go as far as theft, adultery, and like in the story of Cain and Abel, murder. Yeah, and it's in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the deadly sins that is explicitly repeated in the Ten Commandments. Almost verbatim. Yeah, it's nasty. It makes people do awful stuff. And it also tends to rob them of joy more than any other sin. Lust makes you feel good, although it's a false kind of good. A sloth makes you feel content and just lazy and in there. Pride fills you with pride and anger just plain blinds you to absolutely anything else. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about... Envy in games and stories and how it can be used or is commonly used. Well, I think this was something that Grant added. I want what he has is a big part of a lot of heist stories. Uh, Well, then I have to say, Grant, I love you, feel better, I disagree with you. Because the whole idea of heist stories, especially when I look at them, a lot of times the person doing it isn't really going for greed. Or envy, because we all see that as a very negative thing. I don't know. I can think of a couple of examples where it wasn't anything else. Maybe not 90% like Grant has here, but there's definitely some where it's the case. Did you ever see Thief, the old Michael Mann movie? No. That's very much about just a guy who's in it for greed. He's a professional thief. Heat is all about greed. Those guys are professionals. Ocean's Eleven is more about revenge than it is about envy, but it's still not a Mm -hmm. a desperate kind of situation. Yes, I'm not going to say that I am completely and totally saying that it's never appeared in heist movies as something on the part of the protagonist. I just think that envy is way more seen in villains. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a common villainous motivation, actually. Oh yes. And the greatest one that I love the most is from Incredibles. Incredibles is all about the horrendous things 
that hero worship and envy can drive someone. Oh, yeah. Syndrome is a great villain for that reason. I wanted to be super. <laughs> I wanted to be this. I wanted what you had. And, you know, we could have been partners. Yeah. Could have been amazing. You wouldn't let me into your world, so now I'm going to destroy your world and you and make it as if you never existed, basically. And that is something that has been repeated in various different stories. A lot of times, as I mentioned in the superhero stories, the villain of superhero stories wants or envies the actual superpowers that they don't have. They want to be someone special. I want to be good. I want to be the hero, but I'm not. And that leads them to do horrible and terrible things. It doesn't necessarily have to be their prime motivation. It can also be a more petty and low-key thing that doesn't necessarily result in awful things happening all by itself. It can rob characters of their joy and ability to enjoy what they have. It can be used as an excuse by the haves to not share what they have. Like, oh, those people are just envious of what I have. And it can also be used as an excuse by the have-nots to be needlessly punitive and brutal towards those that have. He has more than I do, so not only am I going to rob him, but I'm going to burn his house down, kill his family, and make him watch the whole thing. It's the difference between Robin Hood and the Punisher. I kind of want to get back onto the whole robs you of their joy, because it's something that we hit on and sort of glazed over, and it's it's something that I kind of want to dig into. Okay. Because it is such a great motivation for stories and characters, and the real true horror and terror of envy because envy is the opposite sin of sloth okay whereas sloth is just be content just don't try to do anything else just lay back and relax envy is the exact opposite emotion of that it is what you have isn't good enough don't be happy with what you have don't be content don't think i've got all that i need you need and no matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. Yeah. Eventually, it'll never be enough. You'll sate that need. We're starting to overlap with greed a bit here. Yes. Oh, I would say greed and envy go a lot of hand in hand sometimes. One can trigger the other, certainly. Yeah. Because they're both kind of about the acquirement of material wealth. Or envy goes beyond material wealth. But if you're envious of material wealth, you're also being greedy when you're being envious. Sure. I would actually say the two sins that you'll most often see envy in the company of are wrath and greed. And sometimes pride also. Well, I mean, you can see it with all of them, but I would say the ones that are the most common are probably wrath and greed. They tend to feed into each other. Getting back to the gaming part of things, because we're wandering back into definition territory again. This is the wicked motivator, as I believe Grant called it, that is, that is going to eat away at every success you have. Whenever the story is done, like, oh, well, we've saved the world. Like, we've gotten what we wanted. Everything's good. Envy is the thing that will creep in and rob you of every victory you've ever had. Because it doesn't mean anything. Because this new shiny's out there. And they have it. Yeah, that's a good point. Since you're our storytelling expert and we're missing the third perspective of Grant, how would you go about making a villain? based around well, an envious motivation. The Vizier. There is no better envious villain than every Vizier you've ever seen in any story ever, because they're always the bad guy. Ah, yes, the Aladdin They villain. aren't the king. They want to be the king. They might do a better job of being king than the king, so there's a little bit of pride in there also. But there's something else that someone has that they can't have, and they want it. 
to make an envious villain or an envious character, you have to have someone who is a have-not. By definition, they do not have something that they want. They could ha be the richest person in the world, but if they don't have MacGuffin B, well, that doesn't matter. They're a have-not. I don't have MacGuffin B. Well, and getting back to a good example of this from scripture, David and Bathsheba, he was the king. He had a harem. He had palaces. He had way more than Uriah did. But he still wanted the one wife that Uriah had, and mm -hmm. that led to adultery and murder and yeah. a cover-up and all kinds of other horrible things. Oh, that woman. Yeah, I want her. I can have anything. I already have all this stuff, but that one, I want it. It is sort of in our nature to want that which we do not have, which makes this even more terrible and horrible and something that we have to watch out against. That's basically how I would go about using envy in a game, especially in a villainous character. I'm going to throw it back at you. Peter, can you think of any interesting ways to use envy in a game or a story? Do I have to confine myself to the opposition, or can I throw it in as player characters? Anywhere you want. Okay, so if you're using it in player characters, I think this is going to kind of depend on your group. This is going to require some good role players and people who won't get their feelings hurt. But have a Legolas and Gimli kind of friendly competition turn a little toxic. And have one of them become clearly better. And the other one really start to resent him for it and maybe not back him up as much. And then deal with that in game. Let those characters have it out. Well, the question I'm going to throw to you, because you mentioned the players, is how are you going to get the players to do this? Because as a game master, the one thing you don't control is the players. Yeah, that's very true. I would say if I started noticing it developing organically, pull the involved players aside and ask them if it's something that they wanted to develop. I've noticed you've got the seeds of this. I think this is great. We could take this in multiple different directions. We could go in this really heroic way and just, you know, make it the Legolas and Gimli thing. Oh, I can take out more orcs than you can in the same period of time, but it's all very friendly and backslappy. That still only counts as one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or you could make it a little more toxic. He's cheating. He's a scoundrel. He's fighting in an unfair way, or you know, I hate him for it, or that sort of thing, and then you can have those characters reconcile or not and see what kind of effects that has on the story. I agree to sort of doing that. That is one way to handle it. The other ways that I would see to handle it would be if you're playing in a system where you're porting in aspects. Oh, yeah. What you can do is just throw fate chips at people to compel them to be in competition or possibly want something else that they would have, and that would motivate them to do it. Yeah, good call. <laughs> the other way I would do this, which is something that I've learned from Monster Hearts, where we're all playing really horrible, terrible people because we're all teenagers, and all teenagers are horrible, terrible people, basically. Well, not all of them, but certainly you start more that way than you're going to wind up in a lot of cases. Well, I was bullied in high school, so all teenagers are horrible, terrible, evil people. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Moving on. As I was saying, the other way I would do this, believe I may have mentioned this strategy in a earlier episode, but just kind of playing the devil on their shoulder. A lot of times, I've just been the whispering voice. Do you really want to do that? Does your character really want to do that? Because that is how temptation works. In the fear of few times where you don't tempt yourselves, and there are a couple times where you do tempt yourselves and you are the one who is whispering in your own ear, it's just the devil on your shoulder going, 
Do you really want to do that? You can do this and get away with it. What do you care that's going to hurt him? See if they have the wherewithal to stand up against this. Or if they go, you know what? I'm going for it. He's made a good point. When you've made no good point at all. You've, in fact, made an evil point. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always the best part where great drama happens. And usually in my experiences, I have seen that work well for two reasons. One, everyone else around the table kind of sees it happen. They see you nudging this player and nudging this player and nudging this player. And so long as everyone's okay with it. Yeah, and you want to explore those kind of themes in your yeah. game, which you may or may not want to do. If you guys want to play the fine, stalwart, upstanding heroes who are totally good 100% of the time, and you want players to handle their own sort of temptations and evils and falls and folly, that's great. I have found that it gets much more interesting when you challenge the players with temptation, where you play the Dark Forces aligned against them in their mind as well as outside. But the thing is, when Bob turns and becomes a jerk to the group and takes everything and betrays the party, people will be a little more accepting then because they know it's not 100% Bob. The DM was sitting there needling him. Yeah. And Bob just did it. That's true. And they're more willing to accept then another player being kind of crappy to the rest of the group because they see it, oh, this is just another thing that the GM is throwing at us. It also gives them a whole lot of prep time where if they're uncomfortable with this, they can raise their hand and go, hey, can this stop? Yeah, you can say this is kind of starting to get close to one of my lines or veils. And I'd really not like it if this goes this way because I've played in games where I've made characters where I'm like, we are going to do this because I don't want there to be party in fighting. In one of the games I was in, I defined an aspect where I was an ally with them. And they weren't really sure they wanted to be an ally with me because my character was kind of shady and weird. And I said, look, the reason why I said ally is because that's the way my character doesn't turn on you. And that's the way I can make sure that your character doesn't 100% all the time turn on me and we don't just devolve into party infighting and destroy the game. Because if I count you as an ally, I'm not going to stab you in the back. And if you try to stab me in the back, I have a whole lot of ways to respond to it besides destroying the party. Yeah. But if it's just we're going to be at each other's throats, then I don't want to do this. I'll wash my hands of the game right here because that's not what I want to do for this game. I want to succeed while I'm playing this really twisted, possibly horrible, terrible person. I want to be an anti-hero, not a right. villain. If you start to introduce some of this and it doesn't go well, you can always just yeah. back off. It's one of those things where most of the time... Your average campaign that's got some momentum already that people are enjoying can handle the addition or subtraction of a little bit of this stuff as long as you've got a mature enough and communicative enough group. You can play around with this a little bit, and if it turns out to not be something that people like, go back to more standard heroic adventure. Nobody that's going to look down on you for that. Also, along the same lines, don't feel compelled to put this stuff in if mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like fun Although to I you. think this is, we're probably edging off into whole other topic territory. <laughs> True. Envy, as I said, is one of the most insidious of all those sins. Wrath can destroy your gaming table a lot, but wrath probably at the gaming table came from envy. Pride can sometimes destroy a gaming group, but pride usually destroys a gaming group because other people get sick and tired of it or get envious of it. 
Lust can destroy a gaming group, but that's entirely out of the focus of this entire podcast. Yeah, and it's also usually not about gaming at that point. But Envy, whether it's about gaming or not about gaming... Well, and it can pop up over stuff that happens in-game. Oh, yeah. People can get envious of other people's dice rolling luck, their character build, the amount of spotlight time they're getting, even how comfortable or experienced they are at gaming. I mean, very good personal example that I had a little bit of for a second. Back at Fear the Con 6, so not this year, but last year, I was in a game... It was a survival horror kind of thing. We were looking around for stuff to fight off the zombies with. My character's like, okay, well, we're on an oil rig. Certainly there's sections of pipe. And actually, Johan from Fear the Boot was at the table. He was like, I'm looking for crowbars. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I, you know, I can't believe how much better he is than me at this. And I had that little twinge of envy. And then I was like, nope, you know what? That's just a really good idea. Let's go with it. That can happen. Yeah. It can happen even with in-game loot. It can happen in anything, like in video games, in MMOs. I've seen guilds destroyed over loot drops. And the same thing can happen in tabletop games. Someone drops the Holy Avenger. Only one of you is getting it. There's only one of it. It only works for the paladin. So now you're like, man, that guy played a paladin. I'm I'm envious. He gets the awesome yeah. sword now. Okay, so it's... not the Holy Avenger. Some other plus five Vorpal sword. Yeah, It's usable by anyone. Only one of you is getting it. Who's going to get it? And yeah, dropping the plus five Vorpal Blade doesn't have to destroy your group. No, in fact, is, it usually doesn't. I wouldn't go so far say it usually doesn't. This is going back to the fact that I've had really good gaming <laughs> yes. groups again, isn't it? <laughs> I would go back to say, if the DM is dropping a plus five Vorpal Blade in your group loot and there isn't like other loot around there to sort of entice other party members then he's trying to get you to be envious. He's trying to go the infighting. You know what I would be tempted to do? Drop a plus five Vorpal weapon that nobody has proper proficiencies in. You've got a wizard, and you've got a fighter that's focused on longsword fighting. You've got a rogue that uses daggers, and it's a poleaxe. Yeah. Then it's a <laughs> debate about who's going to buy the proficiency first. You're just extending <laughs> I suppose, but... That is another way to get people in and how to know that your GM secretly hates the group and wants to destroy it. <laughs> but it works better than a wing of three wishes, because sometimes players are just really crafty and really rules lawyery about the rings of three wishes. But, you know, there's only one purple play. Yeah. And like I mentioned in MOOs, I've seen entire runs destroyed because... When I was playing back in Ice Crown Citadel, the Bryn Troll, the Bone Arbiter, dropped. It's off the first boss, and the arguments I have heard over whether that goes to Warrior DPS or Blood Tank just boggles the mind. People argue about it while everyone else is go, hey, that's the first boss. Let's go to the next one. Let's not even talk about what happens when Deathbringer's will drops. Someone takes it and then just leaves the group. Like, that is just the destroyer of everything. And it's it's because people want it. People want that loot. They are greedy for it. They envy it. <laughs> the things that I have missed out on by not being an MMO player, I guess. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Secret World is awesome. I'm playing a Templar. Uh, Secret World is adult, so don't play it with kids. I got it on Steam sale for 18 bucks. It was a flash sale. I am happy I spent 18 bucks on it. I bought... <laughs> Divinity Original Sin back on Friday and I've been on vacation this week and have been doing <sighs> precious little else with my time. I want Divinity Original Sin because I'm like, wait, I can make my own games? And we have an actual <sighs> example of Envy right there. It's not Envy. <laughs> I'm not like, darn it, Peter. 
you have this thing and I want it. I'm going, oh man, I really want that too. That is appreciation of the fact that you have something awesome. Uh, fair enough. Because I'm not seething and plotting your destruction for your own Divinity Original Sin. I would certainly hope not. <laughs> I'm seething and plotting your destruction for a various list of other reasons that I don't want to go into on the podcast. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, I suppose I'll need to reconstruct the force field generators out in the front yard again. Well, you have threatened you to poke me with sticks and cattle prods, so... <laughs> That's true. The poking stick joke is one that I go back to frequently <laughs> with you. <laughs> I've actually threatened to drive to Maryland and poke you before, and that's a non-trivial <laughs> drive for me. Indeed, so I am prepared, <laughs> let's just say. So we've gone about ways that it can crop up in gaming, but even when it crops up outside of gaming for, like, socioeconomic things, jobs, relationships, every other reason that we talked about Envy cropping up, it can come at the gaming table, and it's got to cause problems. Yeah. Because, especially with the relationships, just whoa. And this doesn't necessarily have to be romantic relationships. This can be friendships that people have had for years that somebody is envious yeah. of and wants into, or... Envious of, God, you and your friend, shut up. <laughs> or envious that, I've got a friend that they want to come into the gaming group, but you're not letting them in. Would you consider that a form of... That could be a number of things. The friend maybe might be envious that you're in a game and they're not, to the point where they deliberately sidetrack things and wreck the game when they get in. Another place that I just thought of where this can crop up, somebody's envious of the GM's chair. Oh, yeah. They want to be in charge, and they're not. So they sabotage the game. They make things difficult for everybody else who's there because, hey, I want to be in charge. Sometimes it's various other dysfunctional behavior, but it can be envy. Sometimes it's simple misunderstanding. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody has bad days. I think one of the important things about learning to game together well is learning to take each other's foibles and realize that people occasionally just have a bad night. Oh, yeah. If somebody oversteps themselves or somebody is just off for the evening or something, yeah. I think... I get done with work... And I'm just entirely frustrated with the fact that I'm dealing with a kid that doesn't want to do something unless I'm sitting behind him and telling him to do it. And he's just going off about how he's making poop in <laughs> Minecraft, which is... And you're envious of the teachers that don't have to deal with him. <laughs> I am. And I'm looking forward to the fact that I don't have to deal with him after tomorrow. Oh. Ah. And then I get home and then, like, someone says something wrong. I get to myself and snapping at that person. Yeah. Because this other person got me to nine. You've pushed me to ten. Last straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Of course, now we're not at envy anymore. We're just at losing patience. True. What we haven't covered is how do we stop envy at the gaming table? We've talked about the ways it can come up. But we haven't talked about dealing with it. That's an excellent point. My advice is to start by trying to police it in yourself. Try and be as self-aware as you can about any of those feelings creeping up and deal with it as much as you can in your self-talk. Yeah, don't point at the speck in someone else's eye until you take the plank out of your own. Yeah, and I think if you notice it coming up between other people at the table or you are on the receiving end of it, it's time for another one of those respectful adult conversations, which are always so much fun to have. Oh, indeed. This is all well and good for the normal stuff. Envy that crops up in everyday life. But as you mentioned, there's some really interesting specifics that can happen 
specifically with gaming. Yeah, that's true. How do we deal with the people who are envious of your dice rolling luck, envious of your spotlight time, envious of your role-playing experience or skill, envious of your character build or how much you're participating in combat? It depends on the specific one of those things. Dice rolling luck, there's not much you can do about. Lend them your dice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Lend them your dice and give them a beer when they still roll poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> encourage it to be humorous if you're the gm and you have somebody who storks it as they say over on happy jacks maybe try not to make that person roll for stuff as often find reasons to only have them roll when they have circumstance bonuses that are going to negate some of the bad luck well the other main thing that you could do is switch to less painful dice heavy systems also less painful failure results that's absolutely true you can succeed but is a really good way of handling failure a lot of the time. You get the safe open, but you set off an alarm and now the guards are coming. Yeah. If this person is just having a terrible, terrible night or a terrible, terrible week of visuals where they can't do anything because they're going to be getting discouraged. So you just handle it and you go, hey, look, uh, instead of you getting jealous of everyone else being able to do things because the dice simply like them and they apparently hate you, you get to do things, but you add more adventure to the story. Because guess what? When Tom opens the safe and rolls a 20, okay, you get the loot. Everyone's bored with that. When you open the safe, get a 1, and, like, the door falls off, and the guards come running, everyone's happy. You get the loot, you also get a fight, a chase, another fight, a dramatic escape montage. If you have a good enough group who understands the importance of that kind of challenge and doesn't want to just succeed at everything, which is a group out there that exists... I've played with them. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it certainly can be. Then those are the people who might start handing bad dice rolling luck guy the dice and going, here, I want you to get a one. Let's have him sneak in. Let's rescue him. The other thing, too, is I've seen this happen in, like, Savage Worlds and stuff where people will start throwing each other some of the in-game currency, like bennies or action points or that sort of thing. I think if you're the GM, even if the rules don't normally allow you to do that and the other players are trying to do it to make life easier for somebody else who's having a miserable time, bend the rules and let them do it. I will probably start a huge argument over that in our listenership, but that's my advice there. Find ways of making failure interesting. Find ways of making failure sting less. You should always find ways to make failure interesting. Yeah. We are jumping around to a whole bunch of other topics that can be brought back. And so we'll probably be quoting, like, as we said in our Envy episode, these five topics. Okay, so (laughs) some of the other ones, character builds and role-playing experience and comfort. I think that's a really good opportunity to set up a mentor-mentee kind of relationship at the table if both parties are willing. Have the guy who, the subject of the Envy, teach the one who's envying him. Have him deliberately start sharing tricks. If, you know, the other guy doesn't know how to build an effective character, have him go design his next one with the guy who knows it backwards, forwards, and upside down. Uh, We had a similar problem sort of crop up in Y2912 where we have a character named Murder Kitty who got some special stuff from me and sort of unbalanced the game, and we've worked it back so that it's kind of in balance now. She would help out and, like, tell other people, especially when they're creating characters, well, this is a good skill to have. Because she knew the rules a whole lot better than me. And so I'm like, go ahead and do it. Like, you help out anyone that you can. If you know this information so that 
everyone has a chance to shine. Yeah. The other thing to do is maybe this person just doesn't have a good build and maybe you don't know how to fix it. Maybe just up their power. That's what I had to do with my healer. A friend of mine who was playing the healer in the game with Murder Kitty was kind of like, I get that we're upping the monsters so that the people who are really bad, big combat powerhouses have a challenge. But the problem is them having a challenge means I'm creamed corn. Right. And so we gave her a couple powers that came with a whole bunch of heavy little, like, hooks in them that she agreed to that are opening up whole new avenues of play, and she's effectively a couple levels higher than everyone else because of these horrible, terrible things that have happened to her. And she has a way to, like, okay, I feel more powerful now. I can do a whole lot more things. That actually feeds into something else that I would recommend. One of them is if somebody is way underpowered for the table, this is going to be another one of Peter's controversial recommendations, but have them figure out what the core concept of that character is. And if they're willing, sit them down with one of the other players who's better at making characters to make another character with the same name and concept, but is more efficient. Let's say in GURPS or something, raise their IQ and DX so they're not spending so many points on skill points and they can get more bang for their buck, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is mm-hmm. give them intangible stuff that makes them important. Give them a title or oh, yeah. you know some special knowledge or contacts or something like that that only they can access but is massively helpful to the rest of the group. So that they have something that they can contribute that doesn't necessarily involve swinging a sword. Like, Sir Jonathan over there is the deadliest swordsman in all the land, but Lord William over here has a title, and he has all of these contacts and court and that sort of thing, and we can get all sorts of political stuff done with him that... Sir Jonathan can't even begin to touch by, you know, attacking it with a sword. Kind of goes back to the bad dice rolling in the solution that I did. I gave the evil sword to the healer. When the healer draws the evil sword, she does not roll for combat rolls. She just kills things. Boom. That's gone. You're doing well. You're keeping three people at bay. Yeah. Like, they can't attack. And you're not doing any rolls because it's not you doing it. The sword's doing it. So... You're participating as just as much as everyone else, and you're doing something like this, but you're risking something. There's a whole lot more choices that you're making there. And so, yeah, Sir Jonathan is the best swordsman in the land, but your blade, <laughs> if you draw your blade on Sir Jonathan, he can only keep you at bay. You're not good. That sword is good. Yeah, the problem is the sword is also possessed by the soul of an ancient, you know, evil dragon or something like that. Yeah, or doesn't understand what evil means. Yeah, it's, it's from, like, the equivalent of Valhalla in your setting, and it just wants to fight everything because yeah. that's what it does. <laughs> yeah. When you draw it, you have to stop yourself from attacking Sir Jonathan because he's the best swordsman, so it wants to challenge itself. Yeah, the, the sword's like, I want to challenge. That guy over there looks like he has a very strong sword arm. I say we challenge him to a duel. No, no, he's an ally. But he's so good, it would be so fulfilling. It's like, no, 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 these orcs over here. <laughs> these are what you want to fight. Trust me. <laughs> the orcs are weak. <laughs> the whole main point is seeing what people want and sort of giving it to them. With, with the whole loot idea is just, unless it's a plot point, don't drop one thing and make them fight over it. Drop a collection of things and let them divvy it up as they want. Now, maybe someone gets nothing in the first drop because there's nothing in there that they really want. You know, maybe there's an item that you specifically tailor to someone. Like, in my one game, there was a person who used spears or had a spear. So one of the items they found was pig roaster, 
which was a flaming spear the goblins were using as a spit. Because <laughs> that's great. <laughs> like <laughs> well, only goblins would take a flaming spear and use it as a spit. It, it makes perfect sense. Well, because but... it cooked it cooked the thing from the inside too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> gets done twice as fast. What are you uh, talking? The ultimate about? barbecuing. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things she picked up was the snaky stick, which was a snake that they threw on the ground and turned into a snake, and they could play with it. It was a rod of python. And they had the rooftop ring, which was a ring of feather falling. And so, like, there was a whole bunch of things like, oh, if you want this, well, I'll take this. Well, I'll take this. I'll take this. Later on, they dropped one ring. Like, yeah, it was a really good ring. And I sort of let them kind of fight and debate over whether or not they wanted to use the ring or not use the ring and who would use the ring because only one person could use the ring. But it wasn't like everyone else was like, man, this is the only thing we've ever gotten. No, you got other stuff also. Yeah. Like... Yeah, no, that's a very good point. The last one in that list, I believe, that we haven't covered is Spotlight Time. And there's a very good way of addressing this. We've sort of hit that a little bit with what we mentioned. We have, but there's two things that I would recommend. First of all, as the GM, call on that person specifically a little more often and ask for their input. And that actually goes also with the role-playing experience and comfort. If someone is jealous that someone else is role-playing more, someone else is able to do that, the best solution to do that is to involve the other person. Yeah, give them some practice. Have somebody that just doesn't like the look of the person that they're normally hogging the spotlight and will only talk to their character for some reason. Or maybe not even not only talk to the character for this reason, but someone who just happens to talk to this one person first. And if someone else comes in and tries to steal, he's like, do you mind I'm having a conversation? Yeah. Like, this is an A and B conversation right now. I'll get to you in a minute. But stop being rude. Yeah, you are C at the moment. <laughs> I don't want to be rude, but you're being rude by cutting this person. And, and it's also a good way to deal with someone who is, you know, kind of being a spotlight hog. It's going like, play clearly lets them know yeah. you're a problem. We need you to stop. And then you can see whether or not this person is actually this because they're envious and they want all the spotlight. Or if they're just a bombastic personality who's excited. And of course I want to participate because we're here to participate. And why are you all sitting on the wall? This feeds into my second piece of advice. A lot of the time, those bombastic personalities will be mortified if they realize that they've been kind of excluding other people unintentionally and you can co-opt them. Get them in the middle of bombastic soliloquy to reach over and grab another player and be like, what do you think of this? I think he's full of crap. What do you think? Start asking them for advice or, you know, consulting them about a specific area of their expertise or... Yeah, and that goes back to the whole first thing we said about character builds of making people come up with allies and pulling in and you go, hey, buddy, buddy, start role-playing with this person. Yeah. That's a great way to get involved. All right, I think there we probably have a wrap. (laughs) Indeed. Well. As is now common, I will now start singing us out with, I'm just kidding. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good next couple of weeks, and we will see you next time. Farewell. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.